lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf, filling out mock drafts leading up to the actual draft in April, filling out March Madness brackets that are going to be dumpster fires within the first weekend of the tournament here. But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Whether you're hosting game day or movie night, DiGiorno knows that planning a wash party on a budget isn't easy. You need the perfect setting, the perfect squad, and the perfect eats. Luckily, you're a game time mastermind, and you know that grabbing DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza can bring home a dub because it's packed with half a pound of cheese, sauce, and other toppings and comes at an incredible price. Make the game-winning call and grab a DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza from the grocery store today. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Good morning. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me here, as always, alongside Brandon Newman. What's going on, Brandon? Hmm. If this were radio, the silence (laughs) alarm would have gone off. Are you okay? You were just running wind sprints in your garage, so I'm a little worried (laughs) that you're losing oxygen to your brain right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little winded. Uh, I did a little exercise to get the juices flowing uh, this morning. Uh, feeling good, feeling great. Uh, but I'm sorry I couldn't answer your first question. Hopefully I do a better job with the rest of them. So we have a lot of the rest of them to get to today. Um, some big-time news from the U.S. women's national team that was made yesterday in the early hours of the morning. Some big-time comments made by Alabama Crimson Tide head coach Nick Saban last night that we got to get to. And an awesome conversation with our friend and Fox play-by-play announcer Adam Amin, who was kind enough to join us here today. And you want to talk about a lazy river of a conversation. We just turned this one loose. It was a ton of fun. It was catching up with a dear, dear friend. And I, I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Adam is one of the most thoughtful people that I uh, I know and have gotten to know through this line of work. So it was great to catch up with him. But Brandon, before we get to any of that, I have to ask you about something that went on in your house yesterday because this is one of the best parts of in knowing you for as long as I have oh is I know your wife very well who was famously our human genetics tutor our freshman year. Yes. So we've we've been known the entire Newman clan for the longest. And I get a text from your wife this afternoon. <laughs> and it says this, Newman household behind the scenes, currently having a Catholic hymn versus gospel song versus battle. And Kirk Franklin featuring Lil' Kim is blowing us out of the water despite playing the hits. On Eagle's Wings, Here I Am, Lord, etc. Oh, man. How did this get started? 
I mean, uh, you, you, because uh, you were, uh, look like a, a youth pastor in the. the uh... Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Eric McLean and Kelly Gramlich put a, an you. edit up of me on their podcast promotional thing that looked like one of two things. And maybe we'll link this with the podcast so people can get a view. It made the rounds on the Internet again, but yes. it was an old headshot of me from ESPN that they turned into this like very faded, well-done graphic that looked like one of two things. One, as was pointed out, it looked like an in-memoriam for me. It looked like I was recently departed and was being <laughs> celebrated. And number two, I looked like a youth pastor yes, getting ready yes. to go and remix some sort of like Migos song for the Lord and for the children. Right. Yeah, and this it was one of those like well-done like for recruits when they like put the jerseys on. Yes. Like it was like... <laughs> Like done real nice. They were they were trying to recruit me to their podcast from this one by making a jersey <laughs> edit for me. Yes. So, anyways, in the co- you commented on the post on Instagram. Follow us on Gojo Show on Instagram uh, if you're not already. And it was apparently verses to this very popular Catholic hymn, Eagles Wings. Or on, oh yeah, on Eagles on Eagles here, Wings. Here I am, Lord. Yes. And you, it, my, uh, my wife, Michelle, put it in the next verse. And then uh, our friend who we've mentioned on the podcast, Dane, Chris, it, it his is, wife, it Hillary. Is, it is I, Lord. I have heard you calling in the night. It's an absolute heater. Church okay. got bangers, man. Church okay, got bangers. Well, she, well she, she wanted to like flex a little bit on the hymns that she grew up with. So she played it. And then she was like, what's a gospel song that like just everyone knows? That like was a classic, and I was like, uh, "Give me the laptop." Did it, Kurt Franklin stomp? I mean, from the beginning, it was like, I, I told her, I was like, "I know how much you probably didn't realize how much you needed to hear that little Eagles landing song. I didn't realize how much I need to hear stomp in my life, brother. And when I think about your goodness, it makes me wanna stomp. Put your hands together." <laughs> It make really me clap my hands, make me wanna dance and stomp. Ooh, Lord Jesus, thank God. You, you know what's so funny is when she texted me that, my natural reaction was not to go, oh damn, you know, we took that L. I literally shouted at the Alexa in my kitchen and said, play never would have made it by Marvin Sapp. <laughs> Which, I would have lost it all, but now I see you were there for me. Well, and I've told this story on air so much. That was the song when we would break training camp at Notre Dame. That was the signal for when like actual camp was over and we were going to start getting ready for the season. I would walk into the locker room and someone would cut that on one of the speakers and you'd see like linebackers and running backs that had spent training camp running in, battling offensive and defensive linemen arm in arm, just letting Marvin Sapp take them to the place that we needed to go. Mm-mm-mm-mm. It's beautiful. It was, and, and he, he will do it. And that was a surprise. Thank you. Uh, what were we actually going to talk about? <laughs> and it, it would be, that would be a fun about. exercise versus, uh, I don't, I mean, gospel is just like when it's just, we, we just got the base. 
We just got well, the hymns. No, no. We just got the harmonies. Well, it, it's all of those things. But you know what? To me, is like one very easy place that side by side it exists in both, where you can see the difference is just the approach to the organ. Because in a mm. Catholic church, you've got the organ, and it's very buttoned up. It's very dressed yes. up. You don't get them kind of fiddling with the keys. Nope. You don't get that little bit of freestyle. You don't get before. people laying on the keys. Yes, mm. and you gotta lay on the keys. If if I mean if you know if you get the Holy Ghost, let it out. Um, but amen, 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 amen on this Thursday. Amen, got amen. good. Won't won't he do it, Brandon? Every won't, time. <laughs> won't he Every do it? Time. By the way, uh, we need to start reminding you at the beginning of this podcast, download, subscribe, rate, and review us, leave us yes. a five-star rating. And for, we always try and put a prompt in there and see if people will go with it. Shout out to the people that have continued to run with the top five TV characters of all time. I said we'd reward that. And the most recent reviewer came from... Say the name, Michael. Vegas Adjacent. Who said Grogu from The Mandalorian, The A Team, even The Van, Lenny Briscoe from Law and Order, Rose Nyland from The Golden Girls, and Lady Tyrell from Game of Thrones, or mm. Ghost, uh, Ghost from Game of Thrones. Both are Ooh. awesome for obvious reasons. So those all those all play, and we appreciate that. The prompt I want people to run with now is if you were going to do a gospel battle between Catholic hymns and um and um just gospel songs, gospel songs. Yes. What would be in your versus lineup for one or both of those? So again, yes. five star rating. Leave that in the reviews. We'll get to those on here. But Brandon, <laughs> the thing we were actually supposed to talk about here was the Golden State Warriors did exactly what we thought they would last yeah. night against the Dallas Mavericks here. Golden State went ahead and put this one away pretty early on in the third quarter. They won 112-87. Steph Curry did a really uncomfortable dance after one of his pivotal three-pointers in the third quarter. And that, from a basketball standpoint, what Steph was in this game, I think is always the difference. When you get Steph hitting those step-back three-pointers from tight windows, the shots that most normal humans would never attempt, that's when Golden State we see, like the shades of Golden State of old. Now, him and Clay still struggled from three in the first half. It took till that third quarter for that party to kind of start that way. They built the house with two-pointers, with great ball movement in the first half, and attacking Luka Doncic. But the thing that worries me is Steph hit one of those pivotal three-pointers that forced Dallas to call a timeout. And we had gotten used to the shimmy from Steph after threes during Golden State's run. This one, I was, I had two thoughts that came to mind. Either this dance that he pulled off is a TikTok dance that I am not cool enough to have heard of yet, and maybe he's more online than me. Or the more likely option, Steph is just kind of old and uncomfortable like we are now. Yep. And mm -hmm. a lot like... We just all struggle to kind of move in a way that looks cool once you reach a certain age, and maybe Steph has joined us there. No, that's it. That's exactly what it is. It, it's, it's the point of your life when you can stop doing the popular dances, and but you still want to dance, and your excuse is, I just let the music hit me. I just, I just do whatever. <laughs> I just do whatever, whatever, the, whatever my body tells me to do. Uh, yeah, that, that's what's going on with him. But um it, it, it brought me back to the original Warriors and when you didn't even need Clay to be Clay because Steph was Steph. You know what I mean? Like it was just, and, and Wiggins was was doing a, a, a great, great, uh, beautiful things, but 
what I didn't expect was for because the Warriors team was I hated them because it was the dynasty and it was no no parody in the NBA and uh, it was LeBron kept losing it was it wasn't fun. I can say say um, what it was really about. You were you were upset that LeBron was losing. Yeah, I, I was I was upset LeBron. Well, yes, of course, but I didn't think the Golden State Warriors as currently constructed would make me like another player. Like you kind of fell in love with Draymond and and Clay and, and Steph Curry. And you're like, like okay, like hateable, but I kind of respect the game and everything. Jordan Poole is yeah. one of my favorite basketball players right now. Like he he had 19 points. All of them were loud. It might have was might as well have been 40. Like I, I just love watching him play basketball. He does. He, I, I don't. I, I was. Well, I'm surprised I mean, that I, I fall. I fell in love with a new Warriors player. I mean, he earned a nickname. It was the Splash Brothers and the Pool. So the fact that you could keep going with a nautical theme is pretty impressive and a great stroke of luck and great scouting by their department to understand and to see that kind of potential. It was also Andrew Wiggins also had 19 points in this game. I think plus minus wise, he was uh, led the team with 28. He'll always have a special place in my heart because he was an all-star starter, largely due to K-pop fans voting him in. And that means something special. So... (laughs) I just, that's such a unique place in NBA history that for some reason their partnership with a K pop star got Andrew Wiggins to be an all star starter this season. That was a real thing that happened. And I just want to keep throwing that back out there so we're reminded that it did happen. Yeah, no, I, I needed to know it happened in the first place. That that was my first time learning this, but it, it, it kind of checks out. And also, how great is he playing after he got the shot, right? Like the vaccine's really doing wonders to his game. <laughs> Who knew, knew it could fix so much? <laughs> Modern medicine. It really is something else. So, this, I mean. This is the first 24 hours. So, we talked yesterday, Brandon, about different feelings coming off of game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. You sort of tinkering with your pick. This one, to me, wasn't all that surprising. I, I This doesn't really change how I think about the series yet. Obviously, Golden State ran away and hid with this. They beat Luka up pretty good. He got that big claw mark across his oh, face, man. was grabbing at his shoulder in the first half. And just in general, they kind of did to Luka what the Dallas Mavericks did to CP3 at the mm. end of that Sun series. And we always knew that was how it looked at the beginning of the Sun series. I remember hearing Bomani Jones on the right time saying they looked at Luca and saw food. They looked at him and saw food. And by the end of the series, they had tinkered and that wasn't the case. So we saw enough shades of the Warriors struggling from three in the first half like they have through stretches of this postseason. And we saw enough shades of the other Mavericks players being able to pick up some of the slack that... I think as this series goes along, as we get further away from that last series, I still think Dallas wins in seven. I think they'll get their legs back under them and sort of what? sort through these issues. Mike, they they went four minutes in the third quarter without scoring. Four. Yeah. They got third quarter Warriors coming off of a seven-game series. That's not hard to understand. We just watched it happen the other night. We watched Boston run out of gas, and we watched this Dallas team get swallowed up in Oracle in the third quarter, which happens to a ton of people. Okay, also happens to a ton of people during the playoffs is that one star that looks like it just tweaked something in one game ends up being a huge thing the rest of the playoffs. You don't think that whatever we just saw from Luka – is going to make it so Luca's just out and we just got to shrug our shoulders and be like, all right, well, Golden State are, is seven games away from winning 
the championship. And I, 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 I already had them winning this series. Now I'm now I got them picked for the whole damn thing. God, you're you've got game one syndrome. <laughs> it's bad. You just talked about needing the shot, man. Sir, we have to get someone sir, in here to sick. help you. Sir, <laughs> sir, please stop. Get help. Oh, I, I, Listen, okay. it's it's not far fetched to think Golden State wins this series. Am I a little nervous? Sure, but ultimately, I still saw again enough in but, the pivotal moments for me to say Jalen Brunson. When listen, that's kind of been the interesting thing that's happened too. When Luca's off the court, Jalen Brunson kind of gets the super serum and operates very similarly to Luca and yeah. helps them do that. It ended up being a little bit too much ball pounding tonight. From Luca in a lot of these spots, they were basically just looking for pick and roll switches for him to get matched up with Kevon Looney and try and exploit that, and that was not able to sustain you once Golden State's heart hits from beyond the arc. So they're going to need more of that from their role players. They're going to need more of that from Reggie Bullock, from DFS, all the above. But I think they can still get it. Maybe I'm looking too far ahead, but I'm not even talking about the Dallas Mavericks anymore. I'm talking about. The folks on the East, the Boston Celtics and in, in the Miami Heat, they don't look as good as the. Uh, maybe I'm being, maybe I'm, maybe it's game one syndrome. Maybe I'm sick. Maybe I'm sick. I just I just think that that Warriors team obviously they played and in, in, you know they played at home. That's did what they're supposed to do. They really did everything that they were just supposed to do. So I shouldn't be as impressed. But I already thought the Warriors were going to win the Western Conference Finals a long time ago when they were uh, when Steph Curry was being Steph Curry and being in the MVP conversation earlier on the season. But now it's just I don't see I don't see what's stopping them. Uh, I think the Dallas Mavericks might have a chance to stop them. That okay. being said, we also have Game Two of the Eastern Conference Finals coming up tonight. See if. Uh, Jimmy Butler's got another 40-plus point outing in his bag, one of the more historically great playoff performances we've seen from a player as far as stuffing the entire stat sheet. So uh, what do you see for game two of this one, Brandon? Because I look at this and even if Boston doesn't win, because I could very much see Miami going up 2-0 at this point. You're at home. Your role players continue to play well. Jimmy Butler is clearly having a playoff run for the ages right now. I could see them winning both of these and Boston still being very much in it. It just needs to look more complete start to finish than the wheels falling off at halftime the way they did in game one. Yeah, I think uh, the biggest change for me watching the game is that I'm not going to declare the winner after at half. No matter how good yeah. one team looks, it just... I think either team is good enough. Jason Tatum, like, I'm waiting to see Jason Tatum pull one of them 60 burgers out in the playoffs because he has it in him. And when he can't be stopped, he can't be stopped. So I, I, I used to think that he was the best player in the playoffs, but now I think it's Steph Curry, then Jimmy Butler, then probably Jason Tatum until Jason Tatum has a, has a night. Yeah, and I think that's what most people are going to be expecting from him to, uh, coming up tonight. So I, I would, I'd say that's probably the case. I would 
probably at this point bet Miami and if it goes this way and Boston manages to steal this one then you just get to fade me from here on out I picked the Celtics in seven it's still very much possible if they lose both of these on the road in Miami wouldn't be overly stunned by that so fade go Joe I love it listen not the worst option to go through here. So, all right, we've got plenty more time to get to what's gone on in the association. But, Brandon, uh, we are former college football players. I spent a lot of time mm-hmm. covering college football. So, these always ping deeply with me. And, boy, oh, boy, if we have learned nothing about college football in recent history, it is when Nick Saban stands up and starts complaining about something. Prepare yourself because he's going to use that thing to beat you to death. And <laughs> Nick Saban... Speaking Wednesday night in Birmingham to more than 100 local business leaders talked a lot about name, image, and likeness and talked pretty candidly about one of his rivals in name, image, and likeness. He mentioned the recruiting wars from last year where Alabama was number two and Texas A&M was number one. Jimbo Fisher, a former Saban assistant. And he said, quote, I know the consequence is going to be difficult for people who are spending tons of money to get players. You can read about it. You know who they are. We were second in recruiting last year. A&M was first. A&M bought every player on their team, made a deal for name, image, and likeness. We didn't buy one player, all right? But I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it. It's tough. There are a few things that pop up here right away just off based off that one I can understand everyone's eye roll when they hear Nick Saban and he went on this is about six minutes of dialogue where he talked about you know college football the thing that's made it great is it's equal scholarships for everyone equal financial aid for everyone equal 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 across the board in a way that we know is not true resource wise in a number of legitimate ways and then there are going to be a lot of people who all assume that Nick Saban and Alabama have been amongst the many teams that have been dealing with the under the table payments for a long time and I don't know enough about Nick and Alabama's program to be able to verify or support those accusations or not but college football collectively at the top level earns an eye roll when you talk about things that way so that's number one and I'm sure you agree with me on that yeah I was just you know world's smallest violin to to hear Nick Nick Saban complain about uh changes in college football in Alabama Alabama not being able to keep keep up well no he didn't say they were going to, and this is, this is point number two off that before I want to get to a point that uh, a friend of ours, uh, Alex Kirshner over at Split Zone Duo made, but the second part of the statement that Nick made was, is, we didn't buy one player, but I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it. It's tough. That to me reads, I don't know if we're going to be able to sit out of doing NIL the exact... Because he said we had, I think, 25 players on their team earn. He said there were guys with the capability of earning up to $3 million going out and monetizing their name, image, and likeness the way that was originally intended in all this. If Nick wasn't already doing it in the more professionalized way, which with the collectives, which he broke down Mm. very clearly. It's about six minutes audio where he explains these collectives, they start up, they're not affiliated with the schools, but they have money. They tell the coach how much money they have so he knows how 
much he can spend. Nick Saban talked about, he's told his team, we have a collective, everyone will be paid equally from that collective, and then you can go out and secure NIL deals for yourself. But as he hints at here, the same way he hinted at with spread offenses and up-tempo offenses when Ole Miss beat them back in, I think, the Swag Kelly era, he basically Mm -hmm. said, is this what we want college football to be? And then turned into exactly that and started bludgeoning people for national titles a different way. So that is always a warning shot from Nick Saban. He's basically telling you, if you don't want to change rules to do this in a different way, I'm just going to do it better than all of you, even though... Alabama doesn't really need much more help in being able to point to the success of their players in the NFL, which Nick also mentioned here, and just say, hey, we get you to the ultimate prize, and we put rings on your finger in the process. They've got an ironclad recruiting pitch at this point. Yeah, that's why I just hate every time he opens his mouth, because he just sounds like someone who is on the opposite side of these games (laughs) that he's playing. Like he's he sounds quite literally like a loser a lot when he comes out and and complains about the the shifting thing. He talks about what made college football great. What made college football great is everything that made him a very very rich man and a very very successful man. And I think I think he can make an adjustment. I think I think we can all look at the landscape and decide how to play with the new rules. And if anyone is going to learn how to do so, it's going to be Nick Saban first. And people are going to be pocket watching him and reporting on it and we're going to learn that way before he reveals his secrets so yes yeah no i I think i think he'll be fine nick's never going to reveal his secrets and i don't worry about him adjusting like this is just always the game he plays those nick kind of gets to sit and play both sides of a lot of these conversations because he's got the unholy winning machine at his disposal and all this but the one point i wanted to bring up before we get to our interview with adam amin was something that Alex Kirshner, and if you're not following Split Zone Duo, I think it's one of the best college football podcasts on the internet. They do a great job of really servicing the whole hog of college football. But he pointed out that Nick Saban went in pretty hard talking about if this devolves into full-blown pay-for-play. It's a familiar line that we've always heard of, well, we're probably going to have to eliminate other sports if we start paying players. And Alex pointed out, it's worth considering what he's endorsing with that argument, including the obvious racial component of which athletes are subsidizing which other ones. And that's always Mm. been an uncomfortable subtext. In every article written about pay-for-play in college sports, the subtext, whether it's implicitly stated or explicitly stated, is you've got a sport in football and we can lump basketball in there that are played by majority black players, majority black and brown players that are asked to make money in theory that keeps all these other programs, again, a lot of them majority white sports, keeps the lights on in those. And the inherent inequity in that kind of system. And it's what I pointed out with NIL for a long time on the front of how this worked, about how we can't go back, which is if it needed to be a certain group was being restricted so that everyone else around could eat, maybe none of this should have been able to survive in its current form for as long Mm. as it has. My sister was a scholarship athlete in a sport that was an Olympic sport. We have plenty of friends, you and I both, that played sports that were considered, you know, non-revenue is kind of a dated term at this point, but just, you know, for lack of a better one right now at the top of my head, we had plenty of friends and family members that were a part of those sports. People that I love who had their education paid for and had all these opportunities. And as I sit here and grapple with morally all right 
if we've clearly seen there is a market for paying college players that has popped up through NIL and that at some point gives way to the universities actually having to open up their pocketbook and it changes the structure of the rest of sports, I'm going to have to sit long and hard with the realization that maybe that's just going to have to be in its own way the cost of doing business because I don't know how you can deny how professionalized college football, college basketball have become and just keep asking people not to get what it seems like there is a market for them to receive just so everyone else can enjoy their time in college. I I agree with you 100%. I'm just confused as why change is a good thing in every realm but in college athletics or in in college in general like it is, we'll talk later about the US women's national team like things are changing for the better of the people who are doing the majority of the the grunt work and and I think everyone else is literally upset that now they can't eat the way they've always ate it's like, yeah, we just came through a pandemic. I think everyone's kind of used to having to switch up the way they do things a little bit. Like, I, I don't understand why college football feels like that they have the power to be like, actually, let's pump the brakes on. Let's pump the brakes on this whole progression thing. Yeah, I, I think it's a great point about the collegiate model, which, as people point out all the time, really rejects capitalism in a way that most of its supporters would never tolerate in any other area of life. So I want to get to what you talked about after this interview with Adam Amin as it pertains to the U.S. women's national team, because I think there is a very, very clear through line between what we've seen for college athletes and what we are seeing now for members of the U.S. women's national team. We'll take a break here for a second, and then we will talk to our great friend, Fox play-by-play announcer Adam Amin. The NBA playoff action is non-stop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? Well, with DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and then boom, you have a shot and an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a same-game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back, up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code GOJO, and bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code GOJO, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Breakdown. This is a great way to start this show that I'm sure all of your subscribers and listeners that you've worked very hard to get over the last several weeks as you launch this podcast are turning this fucking show off immediately. <laughs> it is fascinating analyze who, analyzing who capitalizes what, though. Harry Douglas is one of my favorite people on this earth. He is one of the nicest men who just happens to be incredibly accomplished at the thing he did for a long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But Harry tweets like a 60... He tweets like someone older than my dad because he randomly... Ca- him and Marcus Spears randomly capitalize and hashtag stuff. And I love them both dearly. 
clearly, but their <laughs> style of social mediaing is so definitively boomer. I stopped hashtagging things a long time ago. And again, I'm not even, I haven't tweeted in a long time. So like, but like on Instagram, I just don't, I don't caption things anymore. I'm like, I don't have anything clever to say. And if I did, I should, I'm sure I could use it in a conversation somewhere and not put it on the gram. That's what I think it is now. As you, you, I'm getting to a certain age where I can only use this stuff once. Right? <laughs> I can't keep using the same material over and over again. And if I don't use it in a conversation to come off as cooler to an actual human being, I don't. I I don't feel like it's worth using on the on the on the cool gram caption right now. I just can't I do have, it. I have wasted the rep. I have... I wasted the rep. Mm. That's a terrible rep. It's like you didn't put your all into that into that bench. Come on. This is me trying to relate to the to the like the ex athlete. Like, you know, you know, how, you know when you like do the bench thing. It's like when Steve Carell's talking about boobs and forty year old boobs, he calls it a bag of sand. This is me right. trying to relate to ex athletes. I'm being like, well, you know, when you like do the bench and they're all like, don't waste that rep. I don't know if anybody's actually said that ever. But it sounds like something a coach would yell at you for at some point. Don't waste that rep. Don't waste Come that on, rep, Adam. I just like the uh, the comparison of like PRing in the weight room to like bomb ass copy on social media. <laughs> social PRs, reps, man. waste waste and reps, man, on on the socs, socs, socs. If they hadn't turned it off before, they are certainly turning it off now. In, in, I guess I guess in the interest of that, we will we will do the official introduction. Is there here. an official yeah. introduction here? I I didn't even. Like, you know, I, I I figured this was it. People, yeah, you know what? They've like, already figured me out. This is <laughs> after this three is... minutes. I'm like, I do or do not like this guy completely 100. <laughs> percent It is a very I, this is a polarizing four minutes. I it, it's like you like you said, and I hate that social media is the lens that I see all this through. But it's like occasionally there are things that I am going to say that I want to appeal to like five people. Yeah. I just want those five people who happen to be Notre Dame football fans, but also Dragon Ball Z fans, but also like fans of some obscure reality TV show. I want those four people to be like, oh yeah, content for me. Yeah, touchdown, touchdown Jesus going super cyan. I'm sure is a tweet <laughs> that if you haven't used at some point already, that's going to be a future Golic Jr. tweet at some point. Save, saving that for the maximum effect as... Uh, <laughs> Adam Amin, our friend who is joining us here now. If you guys are not familiar what with Adam Amin. What a jackass I am. I am very sorry. <laughs> you, are, you are our lovable, wonderful jackass <laughs> in a sea of real jackasses of like-mindedness in here. Um, you may have seen Adam on places such as Fox NFL broadcast, Major League Baseball broadcast. He is the TV play-by-play voice for the Chicago Bulls for the last couple of seasons, and he was formerly my colleague at ESPN, but still my friend because those bonds transcend. Wow, that rhymed. I, that was good. Oh, okay. I was gonna, I was gonna respond to that in a very positive way, and then I, my train of thought got completely derailed by this is how my my dumbass brain works. It's like, oh, let me say something really kind. You, we've been friends for a long time. I, I'm so thankful to have you in my life as as beyond a colleague at this point now. And completely got thrown off because it goes, those two words sound alike. That's fun. And that's where my idiot <laughs> yeah. brain went to. It's like, oh, we're freestyling? I wasn't prepared. Yeah, oh, it's like, oh, man, I have I have notes. Let me go back into my into my phone. Let me give go back to the old lab. notebooks. Get the, get the Blackberry out. <laughs> yeah, man, let me, let me pop open this this app right now. Got all the, I got all the good rhymes in there. 
eight mile style. Dear God, how you doing, buddy? I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm I'm hanging out. It's, we're we're starting to get to that point where like you pick work back up again. Like I had the nice like two, three, four week breather, whatever it was. So at this point, probably four weeks after uh, the Bulls got knocked out in the first round, and we're here, man. We're going back into baseball at some point soon, and yeah, it feels feels weird, man. The ramp up time. Yeah, like you're in the same boat right now. Like the ramp up. I mean, you're past it, I guess now, but like you're already ramped up. But like you went through that same thing. It is very odd. Well, and especially for you, because I kind of listed off all the accolades to give people an idea. And I know on a bunch of different shows and programs, you have famously showed off your calendar that lists all the events that you've got going on. Because between calling all of these sports in you know, various roles at these networks. I know you did last year basketball games naturally for a VR company. You've had a lot of things going on all the time, and I feel like you're always going. So this feels like an unusually long break in the time that I like. Is this normal? Is this one of the longer breaks you've taken in a while? Because I usually feel like when people, because people do the thing in this job where they look at you and go, man, you're always working like I, you know, trying to get like you. And then I remember that you <laughs> exist and I'm like, no, uh, actually Adam's the one doing that. So does this, is this more of a break than usual? This is more of a break than usual. The last time I took a, like a real long break was last summer. So I'm fortunate enough to be able to like take four weeks off before like NFL preseason starts. And if I don't take that time off, I never will. I'll just keep barreling through work at various points like it's weird too like i think about whether it's teachers or whether it's people who are like hey i get six weeks off of work from you know for for the year or whatever it is and it's like in the equivalency of our jobs which i've always looked at as like the sandbox you know like the, yeah. the toy the toy or maybe like the toy store of of the world of commerce like we get to work in like the fun spot it still is like yeah you're still gonna get like six weeks or eight weeks of vacation and you're gonna you know, try to run yourself ragged the rest of the time and you're going to try to make as much money as you possibly can. And you're going to try to enjoy the job that you have and you're going to try to do as many games as possible. And it's, it's a smaller, like I keep thinking in smaller and smaller bits of time. I have to, I have to force myself to do it. So it's like, all right, let's work the next three months or, you know, five months. It's football season. We're going nonstop from now until, you know, the middle of January. And then we got another three weeks of basketball, then the all-star break. All right, cool. That's a week. All right, then we got two more months. Let's keep rolling through. We're going to get through that first round of playoffs, and then, boom, three weeks off. And then you're going to get into baseball, and it's like you're regimented this way. And I had to change my regimen a couple of years ago when I left ESPN just because my natural schedule was a little bit different. And now it's it start you start to get into the rhythm and the flow of it all, and that's that's good. That's a good thing. I'm, I'm a creature of habit probably, or I, maybe I'm at my best when I'm a creature of habit. Well, how, how was changing your regiment when you – change careers like that not careers more so positions and in, in, in employers but you mentioned the fact that our industry is in the like the toy department right it's a yeah. lot it's a lot of fun but it's really tiring there's not a lot of chairs you know you're, <laughs> you're moving around a lot you're flying a lot uh so how has that been for you changing the regiment and kind of getting back into it because like i said i've said this before on this podcast but you know, I've podcast before, uh, I've worked social media before, th different things like this, but a daily show, this is a little, it was a little bit different of a grind to get into. I, I'm week three, I'm finally like, oh, I'm not, I'm nowhere near as gassed as I was, you know, yes. you know, uh, first Thursday and in, in the, in the, la the next Thursday. But how was it changing your regiment for you, for someone who's like so used to being so active and busy? Yeah, you're, you, you have to build 
build up your strength, your endurance, you know, or if, if for lack of a better term, I think you, you have to, otherwise you're going to burn out. I think this is an easy business to burn out in too, as, as much of a fun ride as it is, I think it's, it's built to kind of break you down. And I, I, I wonder if you guys think this too, like, it, I think it's part of a lot of industries, a lot of jobs that has like a light at the end of the tunnel, or it has a distinct advantage to like, like you just said, B, it's like, this is fun. Like the actual times that I'm at a game and calling a game are just fun. Like, yeah, I'm nervous. I'm thinking about the next thing. I'm thinking about information. I'm trying to recall. I'm, I'm thinking very hard about those things for sure. And it's mentally exhausting and, ta- and maybe not exhausting. It's taxing in that moment because you're putting everything you have into just saying the right thing based on all this information and this experience and, you know, what you've seen, you're trying to take from that and disseminate the right info at the right time. That That's mentally taxing, but it's fun. It's just fun at the end of the day. So the rest of the time, I wonder if it's built to break you down to make sure you want to be in it. You know, mm, this is like my yeah. version of kind of figuring out if this is the karmic balance of why we get to do what it is that we do. Cause there's a million talented people out there that would kill to have any one of the three of our jobs and just hasn't had that opportunity yet. And again, I think this business is built to break you down and I'm sure I'm not the only person to say that about this industry. And I'm sure this is not the only industry that has that as a byproduct of it. Like if you can't handle this or, and and I shouldn't even say like that, if you can't handle it at a certain level, just because you can't do it here doesn't mean you're not allowed to do the job. Doesn't yep. just because you can't do it at this level doesn't mean you shouldn't be allowed to do this. No, I, I think every rung that you climb on the ladder, or every advancement that you get, or every you know pro, high profile position that you're fortunate to get, like you, there's an added pressure that comes with that, and that's I'm sure the same in just about any other industry and any other job and any other business. It is, but I think the the thing you brought up, like the reason we all kind of like guard against it and even hedge it, and like even there, you chose words carefully. You didn't want to say exhausting because we don't do manual labor. We're not. We're no. We're, everyone says we're not ditch diggers. We're not yeah. doing coal. Like perspective, there, obviously. Yeah. yeah, there's there's perspective, but I think that happens because I, you know you read all over the place that like the basic human need in a job or what we desire most is to have outlets for creativity, to have personal agency, all those things that you have when you're working in sports, when you get to be the one who shows people the game through your eyes and that, but you're right. And I think because of that, we say, okay, I can keep going. I can take more. This is fun. This is a fire hose full of candy that's shooting into my mouth. But at the end of the day, it can still be too much. And I know for you, like you used to be super active on social media through the course of the job. You mentioned wanting to say something nice off the top. Like everyone remembers when you used to kind of do those almost what felt like semi-annually threads where you would say really nice things and kind things about colleagues, people in the industry. And then you sort of quit cold turkey. Like if you go to your Twitter page now, it is purely taking in information. There are no tweets on there. So was that partially you kind of pulling back from this thing you felt like might be grinding you a bit? I think so. I think that was an added element to it. Um, I got very frustrated with how I was feeling uh, about just tweets in general. And, And I'm sure part of it came with being in a higher profile position. Like I got the bulls job and we had, you know, like, you know, there, you just get used to seeing, not, you know, nine out of 10 people say something nice to you. And 
and Golik has the same disease I do, and I'm sure Brandon will feel this as well. The one that doesn't isn't fully and wholeheartedly agreeable to what you do is gonna stick in your craw for however long. And I was like, why am I, why why am I feeling? So? It's not that's okay. Like people are allowed to have their opinions, and if you're on Twitter, the expectation is gonna be that they're gonna express them. You ain't, you ain't stopping anybody from expressing their opinion on Twitter, obviously. So. I had to figure out why I was getting so frustrated with it when clearly it's fine. Like it's just one person's opinion. It, it literally to this day, I, if I see anything, people still say good things nine out of 10 times. And that's a, that's a pretty good approval rating. If understanding that that's not the, the whole barometer and the whole gauge right. and the whole picture, I get that too. Cause most people, let's say 5 million people watch one of our NFL broadcasts on a Sunday and you get a hundred tweets and 90 of them are good, and 10 of them are bad, okay, that sucks. Like, all 10 of those are going to bother me, but 10 out of, I don't know, 5 million is like 0.00002% or something like that. I don't know. It's, it's a ridiculous number. So I don't think it's, it's, it, it's a bad thing that people are exp- expressing their opinions. I, I think it's unnecessary to try to absorb everything. I just don't think we're built as human beings. And that's why I say I, I feel like this business is built to break you down a little bit. I don't think this – I don't want to lean on the dopamine hit that I get from the nine. And I don't want to feel like the world's coming to an end because of the one. And I'm, I was really bad at that, especially the dopamine hit. Like mm-hmm. I would go to Twitter and be like, all right, well, I'm going to make sure somebody said something nice. Or I'd search for my name and be like – did I do a good job? Somebody pat me on the head and tell me I'm a good boy. And I got tired of leaning on other people for my own self-value. And that was a hard thing to come to terms with. And I, once I figured that out and said, let me disconnect from this completely and see if it affects me at all, I want. I, I, I think it has. And I still get frustrated. And I still see tweets. And I miss the interactions. I miss interacting with people. I miss saying something not like that's the other thing too. I have, I I've avoided saying replies that are nice because I don't want to lean on it too much to make myself feel better. I need to get that from actual people or I need to get that from a different source. And it was a hard thing to come to terms with. And that doesn't mean I'm right and you're wrong. And it doesn't mean Twitter's a bad place overall. And it doesn't mean I will never come back. That's why I didn't say anything. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to come back. Maybe I will. I just, I couldn't deal with it at that point in my life when I was dealing with new job on Fox, two big sports, calling major league playoff games, calling the NBA for, you know, the third largest market in the country, even though this is my town, I'm from here. It's my team. I'm I'm connected to it. And we have a decent approval rating. I would guess based on the interactions, I just wasn't capable or equipped to handle it the right way. I I could take, what you just said a lot of different places because I've experienced it the same way just working in social media that the taxing this and it's similar to being an athlete because there's a lot of performance-based commentary and you get that performance-based high like I made that play I know I made that play who's noticing it right but I see that you're active on Instagram could you talk real quick about just the the difference of the mediums and, and, and why uh, you feel more comfortable to continue to put yourself out there uh, from a, a 
more of a visual landscape than than these words and opinions and takes that are just uh, drowning out Twitter on a daily basis. I think part of it is just because that's a tighter group of people that I am more familiar with. And if I do put something out, it's usually I have that as the putting that out there for the intention of, hey, my friends are going to see this and people that I care about, people that I'm close to, people that I'm connected to that. That's that's what what like like I'm trying to figure out, go like you probably would have been in high school when Facebook started. Yeah, I was and I was senior year of high school going into college when Facebook really started to get going. And that's what it was. It was just a way to keep up with your other high school friends, like at college and what parties they're going to and, you know, who they're dating and what they're doing. And like that, that's all it was for that. That's that, that was the connectivity that I was seeking. And after a while, it's kind of come back around to now that that's what Instagram feels like. And I know everybody has access to it, but my comments are off. Like you can only comment on it if I follow you. And it's not because I don't appreciate nice things that people say. It's not that I don't care about that. It's not that it doesn't affect me. Those are meaningful things. But I don't, I'm trying to find a way to not have to lean on that and rely on that. And the more I did that, the more I kind of got disconnected with who I was. And just being away from it for, I don't know, at this point, it's probably nine months since I basically just decided I, I was in. Kauai of all places during one of those prolonged breaks, one of those rare prolonged breaks. And I told myself, I'm not going to tweet. I can't stop using it. It's the greatest information curation tool in the history of the planet. I, I can't stop using this app because it makes my job 10 times easier, a hundred times easier. But maybe if I stop interacting with it just completely, maybe I'll see it for what it is. And like anything else on the internet and like anything else, probably in general that human beings have invented it's user sensitive you get out of it what you put into it and whatever you put into it is what you're going to get out of it well and i think like most other you know human inventions i think just things that exist like moderation is really the key to everything no matter what you're putting into it and i think very few of us have a healthy moderate relationship with social media at least in this industry but with with that perspective now with nine months of that under your belt has any of that and like your experience with dealing with being on there and feeling the way you did being off it now. Has it changed any of the way you think about like athletes and the interactions that we see between them and the fans of the sport and the people that covet be- cover it? Because we have now a generation of athletes who have grown up really not knowing life without all this stuff. And it- it's hard to tell what the effects are of that. But have you noticed or maybe been more sensitive to some of those, you know, the things athletes deal with in that regard now? I, I look at DeMar DeRozan, a guy that I was fortunate enough to at least be around. And again, I don't claim to be super tight with any of the players that I cover, nor do I necessarily want to be. I think it's healthy to have that boundary there, you know, because I have to, uh, again, I don't say anything personally bad about people, but at times we're critical of play on the floor. And it makes it easier, honestly, if I don't feel like this guy has some kind of emotional connection to me and is going to feel bad if I say something critical, which is my job. So... And again, part of that is just, I'm a fucking dork. Nobody wants to hang out with me anyway. Like, I'm not gonna, me, and, me and Zach Levine aren't going out to the club after the game. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's not, like, uh, that's not happening. Me and Io Dosumu aren't getting lunch, you know, or whatever. And again, that you can do those things with people that you cover. That's fine. And at some point, I'm sure that'll happen at some point if, if I'm connected enough with somebody I cover. That's fine. But I like that buffer there. But I notice somebody like a DeMar DeRozan who's 
a veteran of the league, you know, 13 years in the NBA, just he's coming off his best offensive season in his first year with the Chicago Bulls. And I think a lot has been written about him in terms of how he's dealt with mental health. Uh, you know, he was one of the first guys, I would say in professional sports uh, of yeah. note, of, of some import that stepped up and said, hey, I deal with this stuff. And then Kevin Love kind of followed suit. And then a lot of other guys started yeah. to, to feel comfortable because this was a player, I can't remember if it was maybe the five, six years ago, something like that. So he was probably in his late 20s at that point, mid to late 20s, where he kind of came to that realization. And then there's a lot been, that has been written about his father who passed away recently in the last couple of years and how he's dealt with that, how he, how he kind of disconnects from a lot of these things. He's not a big social media presence, although there are photos of him. I think he does have an Instagram that he posts to once in a while. But I was just like, all right, I get the glimpse of just who you are professionally and a little bit of understanding of you personally. And I felt like that was a comfortable place to try to be. And I just really appreciate how he goes about his business. I think, you know, one, one thing that that Bulls team needed this year was some some maturity mm-hmm. and some veteran presence and a person who kind of has this sage-like wisdom, again, relative to the ages of these guys. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of 20 to 28-year-olds are looking at the 33-year-old for thoughts about how to deal with this, how to deal with life, how to deal with the ups and downs of this. How did you use basketball uh, this, you know, in, in a way to cope with a lot of the issues that you were having? And how did you disconnect from it so that you could build yourself back up as a person? And, and how have you used therapy to your advantage? And you, you know, coaches and players are much more uh, sensitive to this stuff now, and rightfully so. I think teams and organizations are a lot more sensitive to this now than they ever have been, which was probably a necessity. You know, not every player needs it. Not every player processes things the same way. But I think it's a lot of good when you're giving somebody the option and you're giving somebody the tools to explore something. And I thought DeRozan was a great example of that. And I feel like that was what appealed to me. And I see John Morant right now. And again, this is not a, 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 a yeah. you know, a, 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 any shade on Ja about how he uses social media. Because again, it's user sensitive. You're going to use it how you use it. But it feels like from the outside looking in, and I understand we're also playing like backseat psychologist here, but we're speaking about this from some level of experience. And Brandon, you set it up that we have this connectivity to the athletes that we cover and we get judged on a performance basis as well, that everything that comes out of him at the end of a game emotionally is going to be online. And I, I worry about how that that is going to continue to affect athletes. Because like I was saying, I don't think we're meant to absorb every piece of criticism all together, all at once. All that criticism that I get or that you get or that they get or that anybody gets might have validity to it. It might be the reality. If I mess something up, I have to recognize that, hey, man, I fucked something up on television and that's going to stick with me. And I might see two people say that, hey, man, you messed that up. And I'll go, all right, man, you're right. I screwed that up. And if I see four or five, I'll go, all right, man, I get it. Imagine being at a bar and somebody walks up to you and taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, you just messed that up, regardless of what they're talking about. You go, yeah. hey, man, I, I, yes, for sure, I'll fix that, my apologies. And then a second person and a third person come to do that. You can put on a good face for a little while, but eventually that avalanche, when it hits, I don't think we're meant to deal with that all at once, even if there is validity to it. So I worry about the athlete, the modern-day athlete, 
that is using social media in this capacity because I get it. There's a lot of money out there. And there's a lot of growth opportunity out there. And maybe that's the deal with the devil that we make to, to be able to advance certain things. And I know social media has helped my career in a big way for a long time. And I'm at the point where I don't feel like it's helping me as much as it is hurting me. And if it is helping me in a way that I don't realize, maybe I'll come around to it at some point and, and use it in a more reasonable fashion. I mean, yeah, I just, for one, congratulations, because I think the reality is in this business, you have to use social media. You sure. have to have some type of presence. I know a lot of stand-up comedians are just behind the times because they just didn't have, they don't know how to pivot the yeah. way that they need to. And in jobs, everything that you have to do, there's a little bit of stink, a little bit of funk that, yeah. that's connected to it. So I'm sitting here from my vantage point looking at you and thinking like, damn, like I can't wait to get to the point where I can just <laughs> say no and checks still come in. You know what I mean? Like, and that, like and it, it takes a while to get to that point. It, it does. And, and listen, man, I would like to write someday. I'd like to write a book or something or whatever. And, and a lot of us who have had experiences that we feel like might be interesting or helpful to others, I would love to write a book about that. I can't do that without a Twitter account and without tweeting about it and without letting people know. You have to. That's an advertising tool. And maybe I'll come around to it in that capacity. But I mean, Golik and I lived our lives on social media from the time we've been adults, essentially. I mean, Golik was on Facebook in high school. I was there in college. So essentially, since we were 16, 17, 18 years old, this has been a way to stay connected to people that certainly has still has a lot, a lot of benefits to it. I'm not telling people not to use it. I'm, I'm, I was just happy that I reevaluated it for myself. But I grew up on, t uh, on TV and on the Internet. Like I got a job at ESPN at 24 years old. And one of the first things I did, I had to, was post about it on, on Facebook because I wanted my friends who I haven't seen in five years or four years or two years since college that maybe we don't te text or talk every day or every week. But hey, they'll see that and they'll know that, hey man, your something good happened to your friend. And if you, know, you want to be part of that or celebrate with that, then I'll get a text or a phone call because they saw it there. And that's, there's... There's only good that can come from that. It's the other ways to try to figure out how to be on it now as a 35-year-old who's been on some form of it since he was 21. I'm, you know, probably actually earlier than that. I was 20. I was, I was 18 essentially. So to try to figure out a life without it or with a much narrower version of it is weird. It is weird, and I do feel disconnected at times. But I think the benefits of it for now have outweighed the. the the negatives of it yeah I, I think you talk about not knowing any other way that always it was striking to me because that was like always Kevin Durant's justification for why he's on and engaging with fans he goes this is what people do yeah I enjoy doing this so I am be. going to do it this is where people go to espouse these thoughts I just saw him you know doing what we all do posting on there and going hey which three centers from the yep. 90s and 90s, 90s could play in the current MVP. NBA Yep. And, like, you get him and LeBron James talking about that online. And for so many people, that is catnip. That's the access we've always Absolutely. wanted to people. But it's sometimes hard when that goes both ways on that. It's it's kind of also interesting to consider that, too, because, at, you know, Adam, you've – and, you know, I don't say this to your friend. Like, you've been one of the most talented at what you do for quite some time. And 
you've gotten around people and they usually leave you better than you found them because of that proximity. Like everyone kind of learns something, you know, I I think when they're around really good people in this profession here. And so I I think you can also kind of identify stuff like this. Well, trends in the industry, like when you see Kevin Durant in the boardroom being a thing, Draymond Green in his podcast right now, Greg Olson, who started doing games when he was injured and still playing, Pat Bev going on first take and talking really disparagingly about another player. Like, what's been your reaction to this wave of athletes that's really started to grab the microphone and do it in a lot of instances while they're still players? Well, look at how different all four of those kind of angles are, or, or at least the, the, the difference, the differences between some of those angles, like Durant's trying to engage and interact with people. And he's like, although also, what are you going to tell Kevin Durant? Like from the outside <laughs> looking in, it's like, I imagine this guy is fairly mentally tough. I would think he would have to be to do the things he's done on the court and to deal with the, the stuff off the court. I would imagine this guy's probably heard it all. And it's probably changed him in some way, shape or form. And that's what I'm more interested in is like, how has this changed you? LeBron bored off his ass right now. So what does he want to do? All right. Like he got, he already, I've already seen the videos from the first week, first round of the playoffs where he was chilling in Cabo or Cancun or wherever the hell he was vibing out and having a good time. Be like, man, look at these guys do the, do their thing in the playoffs. I hate not being a part of it. Yeah, man. Now it's three weeks later. Now what are you doing? I'm bored as shit. So I'm going to engage and there's nothing wrong with that thought and the action that takes place afterwards. Pat Bev is bored as hell and doesn't apparently like CP3 with, with what he talked about going back however long it's gone back. The things that I hope they recognize, and I think Draymond's done a decent enough job of it, but you're also seeing it with Draymond a little bit too. He's also pulling back a little bit or he's trying to find a different angle. Let me talk about what was going through my head when I was guarding Nikola Jokic. That's awesome. And stuff like that, when LeBron interacts with you or Tom Brady interacts with LeBron, that's fun. Because, again, I'm talking about things on a very, very, very micro scale for me personally, certainly relative to what they're dealing with. Like, it's a fraction of what they're dealing with. So I don't get a lot of the residual stuff, nor do I want it, nor would I be equipped to handle it. They get a lot of the residual stuff, and they see enough benefit in it by sheer volume of positivity alone where it makes sense for them to engage and have a good time again. I don't care about the 5, 10, 15,000 people that said something shitty. I had 50,000 people like this and, and retweet it and think that there was something of value there. I think there's a lot of value there. And that's why we love athletes and why we engage in sports the way we do. And it's only helpful for them because now we feel emotionally invested negatively or positively, Pat Bev. So you better believe that if CP3 and you know Phoenix are playing Minnesota on opening night next year, I'm going to be watching that game, assuming I'm not doing one myself. I want to know if they're going to go at each other. That's part of the drama of it. But you can see Draymond pull back a little bit because they understand that there's consequences that come with talking just blatant, uh, unfiltered shit about people. Like, there are consequences to that. A, the other person might hear it and have some shit to say back. B, maybe you don't say the full truth because you don't want to met. I wouldn't want to say anything about Nikola Jokic because I don't want to deal with the brothers. Yes. yes. You want to deal with the brothers? No. I don't want to deal with the brothers. No. All right? So I'm not going to engage in a, in a certain way with that if I'm Draymond Green. Like, Pat Bev maybe doesn't care, but at some point is it going to hit him that, like, hey, this is kind of a shitty thing that I'm saying about another human being? Maybe, maybe not. 
All right, people want to put him on TV right now because, like, all right, well, he said all this about CP3. Let's see what he says about Steph Curry. And he may have nothing interesting to say about Steph Curry. So now our value for Pat Bev goes down in mm. the TV sense. Because, like, well, he didn't have anything interesting to say. Like, is this how we want to, A, judge, judge people on television? And, B, is this how people who think they want to get into the media side and broadcasting side, is this how they think, A, it's supposed to be, and, B, how, how they want to do it? That, well, those are some questions I have. Well, because I always thought it's more avenues. Like, we're seeing now more than ever, there's more avenues to the industry. But Absolutely. what you just talked about there, do you think it makes for a better product for fans consuming sports to get it in all those different ways? I wonder if it's. I mean, it's okay for the sh- for most of us anyway because we listen. We have short attention spans, and I'm that's that's how we're that's how we've developed this generation and future generations. We're just going to be built with shorter and shorter attention spans because there's more stuff. We have more stuff. We're fortunate. We have a lot of a distract. You know, a lot a lot of distractions to to be able to lean on, and we have a lot of interesting things to absorb. Like, hey man, content A plus right now. Right, Con- the content yeah. game is still strong, and I'm a fan, and I'm glad to absorb as much of it as I can as well. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be as good for them. I don't know if it's going to be as good for the punditry of what JJ Redick and Pat Bev and Matt Barnes are all trying to do. You know, like all of them have said intelligent things or all of them have said interesting things. It's hard to maintain being intelligent and interesting for a really, really, really long time. And there's a reason that people like Jay Billis have lasted as long as they have, because for the most part, what they're telling you is coming from a basis of keen analysis. Tim Legler, I think, is as good of an NBA analyst as we have, and he's in a perfect role right now because of the breakdowns that I get from him seem like they come from a very specific place of study and uh, real evaluation of what they're seeing. And that doesn't mean that everybody cares about that or wants that. I like that, so of course I'm going to defend that part of it, but that doesn't appeal to everybody. I just worry that the people who are trying to create this, the players who are going to eventually become broadcasters, I worry that that's going to affect them in a negative way and that at some point they're just not going to want to do it anymore. And granted, a lot of them have fuck you money so they can say, hey, I don't want to do this anymore and that's okay. Yeah, I I struggle because uh, Mike said it perfect. We were talking about Ben Simmons uh, week one of this podcast and he said – we don't have the words yet to talk about mental health the way we were supposed to in the, in the media landscape. And being a former athlete to the extent I was, obviously every injury, every tweak, every nick, it's in the scouting report or it's being talked about uh, by play-by-play announcers or sure. written about. I don't like the fact that our athletes' brains are now under the microscope as well in the sense of like, you know, Ever, ever since Ricky Williams told us he had an issue, everything comes out of his mouth. You're like, oh, well, let's take it with a grain of salt. You know, even John Morant, as you mentioned before, he's, he came out and just was honest and said that his he was mentally taking a hit because somebody was telling him that they were better off without him. And a lot of people's reactions to that is, oh, dude is weak. He's not ready. And it's I don't like that the fact that the vulnerability and honesty is leading to us adding another element to uh, talking about the game and analyzing the players because that's something that wasn't a part of the generation before us. And I, I'm well, afraid of where it goes next. And I think Ben Simmons is like kind of the, at the core of this is how do we talk about this person as a athlete? 
And how do we balance what is clearly an important subject, an important element to his growth as a person and as a player with the circus? Because it's still like, you know, bullets are still flying in, in these, in these realms, you know, in, in these areas digitally. And Ben Simmons, I want to support any athlete who says that, Hey, I have an issue. It doesn't also look good when a series ends for the team that you used to play for and you're putting up the selfie and it seems like you're insulting them too. And it's like, well, I thought, you know, the mental health part of this is also supposed to, and these are, these are also, they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. These Mm -hmm. might be completely separate from one another too. And marrying those two things is really hard. And that's, I think Ben Simmons has it right, especially in that regard. It's not necessarily that we don't know how to talk about it. I think we actually do know how to talk about it. You just have to introduce these elements and make it a little bit more commonplace. And you have to learn how to marry a lot of concepts together to create a larger picture of not only putting out what you're feeling, but also how it's being perceived and how that gets back around to you. And how does this, how do you, how do you get out of the cycle or how do you at least make the cycle that you're going to be caught in? Cause maybe again, that's the karmic balance of being rich and, and taken care of and popular or whatever matters to you. If you're lucky enough to be in those positions, it's trying to figure out what the balance of those concepts is. And that's a really, really, really hard thing to do. And we've been talking about it for seven years, maybe at that, if, if, if that, where we've been talking about human psychology for a lot longer and we've at least had a better idea and a better picture and a better scope of how to navigate through some of these different concepts. Yeah, I, I think it, 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 Brandon's right in that I've said that, and it probably needs updating based on what you said because we probably do, like you said, have the words to talk about it, but it requires a lot more room than we get in the places that sure. we're allowed to produce and acquire information. Yes. Short attention spans, short clips, the way that people are consuming this information does not leave you a lot of time to always layer these concepts for a person who's consuming via social media clips, a person who's consuming via the five minutes of radio they listen to in their car or the podcast that they've got in the background. So it could be as much about the consumption methods, how we have to produce this based on that, that kind of limits how well that we can do at least now, because like you said, as this builds up over time and we get that base layer, kind of like you said, of just getting the work volume up for any job or any understanding or any vocation, you got to kind of build up to that point where you can start to talk about it and say, yeah, this guy's clearly dealing with something that is inhibiting performance for him that might keep him from being the best there and also might not be the best teammate in a lot of instances and also may be guilty of plenty of things inside a locker room that don't make him the easiest guy to work with. You, you've, you've seen dichotomy and personality in every locker room you've been in. And, you know, you, you want to believe, and I think it's probably true more often than not, that, that, you know, people are made of multitudes, man. Like, there's a lot of different angles that people come from and a lot of different things that drive people. And it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. And I think for a long time, we only looked at it as a one size fits all thing. And I I was thinking about this with the draft, uh, the NFL draft a a few weeks back where how many times have you guys heard the phrase character issues, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, what the hell does that mean now? Like character issues, like used to be like, like it it could be if you had an off the field incident that led you to an incident with, with jail or the police or something or something violent that you had at a bar 
or that you were mentally exhausted. And all of those things and every branch of those things got tossed into one bag. And they're like, that's a character issue. It's like, all right, well, I guess we're not, we're not going to pay attention to these guys at all. I think that's how you get a lot of high-level athletes who are sixth-round picks or undrafted free agents. Like, once in a while, like, stuff like that does happen. Now, you also might have done a terrible thing, and maybe you don't deserve as much leeway. And I understand that, too. But I think when it was all tossed into the same category of character issues, I, I don't think you were doing any services for anybody for the organization that, that is missing out on talented people that just need a little bit of help or for the people that just need a little bit of help that are now tossed into this same category as people who don't want the help. Like, I, I think we're better equipped at that now, but we took such a leap to try to get ahead of it that we forgot that you have to take little steps to learn about processes mentally and how people, how athletes in, in particular are trying to navigate through this stuff it's a lot of money. You're still young. You know, NBA players are 18, 19 years old when they get handed 7 million bucks. Like I don't have $7 million now and I've been working in this business for 15 years. Like I, I didn't have to deal with that part of it. You know, I didn't get thrust a bunch of money. I did have to grind it out and be a rookie at things and learn and take these steps. Like I, we, we talked about this when I first started at ESPN, I was 24 and I was as nervous for that as any. I did a high school football game on a Friday night on ESPN2 in suburban Las Vegas. I don't know how many people watched that. Probably not very many. But I was as scared as I ever have been. But to ESPN, they're like, oh, whatever, man. It's a fucking high school game on a Friday night. Just do it and get to the next one. We got more stuff for you to do. Which, by the way, the next night in Sacramento, I also had a game to do. So, like, I, I was so just, like, it was such a large scale jump that I didn't know how to process it, but I was also doing games that not that many people were watching relative to what I, you know, what relative to what the network was used to when your biggest college football game gets 9 million viewers on a Saturday night, like a hundred thousand people watching a high school game is small potatoes. I still was nervous about it yet in the grand scheme of things, the best thing for me, because I got to make mistakes and advance at my own pace, even though it was already on a large scale, I got to learn on the fly without feeling like if I did make a mistake or uh, I said something wrong or the call wasn't as good as it could have been, it wasn't the end of the world, even though it felt like it at the time. And I, I got to go at my own pace. These guys get thrust into it at 22 for the NFL or 19 for the NBA, or maybe you're 18 and get a $7 million signing bonus because uh, you were the number two pick in the Major League Baseball draft. Like, you get thrust into this stuff real fast, and we're still trying to figure out how to bring these guys along, you know, bring these the, these men and women along who are getting put into these major situations. goes back to the NIL stuff now, too, because that's only intensified that. So it's a lot, man. It's a lot to deal with, and I'm trying to keep that in mind as much as I can when I when I see these guys. It is, it is crazy to think about that portion of it because I've always used that in discussing LeBron James. Like, LeBron James was a child prodigy. He was on the cover of yeah. magazines when he was 14 years old. Why would we ever expect him to move, talk, or interact like any one of us? He, mm. he's, he's, he's seen and done and been it's had the, it's, too much. You know the Mulaney thing, right? The, the yeah. Mulaney bit about Mick Jagger. It's like, is Mick Jagger nice? No! <laughs> Or maybe he is for whatever his version of nice is because for 50 years, 
20,000 people every single night have been calling him a god. So when he says, Diet Coke, and someone just brings him one, that may change your brain chemistry a little bit. Like, that's a lot. It's it's so true. It's so bizarre. And I think now, because you mentioned we're all in our 30s sitting here, and so I, I think that changes a lot how I look at, you know, Players that are in college, which is a position I can't empathize with, but even, you know, the guys under 25 years old, Patrick Mahomes in that range that has half a billion dollars that's coming his way and just what you're supposed to do with any of that. So it's that's a unique pressure and all that, but I want to go back to something you said just about the job, doing something and, and feeling like it's everything because it's the opportunity that's there in front of you. You are now back in your hometown, as you talked about. You're calling games on TV for your hometown team, and you're a couple years into it now. So from what you expected it would be or what you thought about it going into it to what you've experienced now calling play-by-play for the Chicago Bulls for the last couple of years, how's the experience been? Has it kind of lived up to maybe what you had in your head? It has, actually, which I didn't, you know, I, I want to say like, oh, man, it's like this is exactly what I hoped for. I should say it like that. I Everything I hoped it would be, it is. And I'm sure there's more to it. And I'm sure I'm missing something too, where I haven't, I, I'm not doing this the right way yet or whatever. I'm sure there's some, there are a few elements that I'm not touching yet. But everything I hoped for, it has been. And I also got to remember, that a lot of that is just because the team is better. Like the team mm-hmm. was better this year. They made the playoffs for the first time in five years. And I... This, Joe Davis is one of my close friends in this business. He's the voice of the Dodgers, and he's now going to be the voice of the World Series for Fox. And we came up in minor league baseball together. I've known him for, you know, 10 years at this point, whatever it is. And he gave me some great advice because he had to replace Vin Scully, of all people. <laughs> like, talk God. about massive shoes. Though. You can't, there's, it's not even about filling those shoes. Yeah, and yeah. the way he approached it was, I'm not here to replace anybody. I'm just going to show up and try to do the job as best as I can and hope that it goes well. And they used him, I think, on like 40 or 50 games as like a fill-in on road games while Vin was starting to minimize some of his workload. So it got him familiar. It got audiences in Los Angeles, or the ones I could see it anyway, familiar with what he was doing. And they're like, all right, he's doing a good job. And the team was good. The team's been good for a decade. So that helped as well. And when the team made good plays, he called them well and did a good job. And then when he got named the voice of the Dodgers, it was kind of a natural transition. I had a very similar and fortunate path where I got a chance to fill in a handful of times over the course of a couple of years and let people get familiar with me. More importantly, let the crew and let Stacey King, my partner, get familiar with me. And when we jumped into it two seasons ago, even though it was in the middle of, of COVID and, and we weren't traveling and it was empty arenas, we, we made the most of it. And maybe that helped too in a weird way. Maybe that was a fortunate circumstance that there weren't crowds in the building. There weren't, it didn't feel like these massive expectations. I felt more expectation this year because fans were back in the building. And before a game, when mm-hmm. Stacy and I would go to, go to the table, I would sit down and people in the front row would like say, hey, and interact with you. And, you know, somebody would come down and ask you for a photo or an autograph or, you know, your friend from high school is at the game with his wife and kid. And they're like, hey, will you, will you hold my kid and take a photo? And it's like, yeah, man, I don't I don't know your wife's or your baby's name yet. But all right, you got it. You know, thanks, John. <laughs> Whatever. So like that, that those expectations were like built in this year. 
So we got a full season of just getting to work and just getting to let people get used to us. Cause you're not going to the games. You're going to be watching. So people got to watch us and got to get comfortable with us. And that was, that's how Joe told me to approach it. He's like, approach it that way. Like a, do the job, do the job as best as you can work well with, with who you got, but don't feel like you have to overtake anything or whatever. You got hired because of who you are and because the job that you do. And that's not the same job that Neil Funk, who was my predecessor and a legend in Chicago and one who's been tremendously gracious to me in the, the last, for the last three or four years. And even before then, when I was doing the NBA for ESPN, like, I got every break, I got every bounce, and then I felt like I approached it the right way based on the way the landscape had shifted and the way the path was kind of set. I was like, all right, this is the path, try not to stumble off it, and I'm sure everything will go fine. And then the team played well, and we we got a cover, we get we had the chance to cover a good team. All of those elements played a role in this, all of this living up to what I hoped it would be. You're in Chicago, you're from Chicago, I always say that uh, the sports that were important to your region are the sports that you care about a little bit more, yep. right? Chicago is now back in the good basketball guy graces, sure. right? After missing the playoffs for five years, you said the yeah. Bulls, uh, Candace Parker came back home, won yep. a, a championship with the Chicago Sky. Mm-hmm. What from from Michael Jordan to the Derrick Rose years, Joe Noah to to now? How has the Chicago Bulls and them being good affected the city right now? Like you, you've lived, you lived through all of it. So I, I just want to hear about what it, basketball means to Chicago right now. I think the same thing that you guys hear about, like, you know, when the Knicks or the Lakers are good, then the NBA feels like it's, there's a little more juice behind it. Uh, I think the Knicks in particular, the, you know, the Celtics obviously being in the con- – like, that matters. It matters to people who formulate schedules or are like, yeah, I want the ratings to be good. I'm sure that's part of it. Part of it is big metropolises. But, like, I-, I think the league is better when the Bulls are better, and I think that completely translates to the city. I think the city feels a little bit more invested in itself when the Bulls are good. And it's because they were so good 25 years ago. 20 years ago. You know, it's because they were a phenomenon. That is, uh, the last dance was on the other night. Like, I think they did the latter half yeah. of it. And I'm sure, like, a lot of people who, were, who didn't have a playoff game to watch were like, all right, man, you sucked me in. I sat on the couch for three hours and watched the last dance again, the last few episodes. And I'm like, this was a phenomenon. And I know they're doing, like, a thing on, like, the 2001 Ravens. They're like, you're yeah. going to, these are going to be the stories you hear now. Because there are elements and branches to the tree of how did this affect this part? How did this affect this part? Like, they touched so many parts of pop culture. And this is before social media, before really the the aggressive advent of the internet. Like, Michael Jordan had a, had a whole wall of a building with his billboard on it, with his picture on it, in Barcelona. Like... <sighs> We didn't think, like, now we'd be like, oh, yeah, man, Barcelona, that's awesome. The people in Spain love the NBA. But in 1992, like, you couldn't have a phenomenon unless it was something like that that touched so many parts of pop culture. And now it's a lot easier. I'm not saying it's easy to get there, but there are more avenues to do it. Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi are global superstars. LeBron James is a global superstar. 
that stuff happens a little bit more often, even though it doesn't happen that frequently. So all of that, think about every cultural touchstone from our childhood that even not being in Chicago, you guys were well aware of. Now try to extrapolate that or multiply it by 10 or a hundredfold, a thousandfold maybe. And that's how it affects the granular part of, and the core of it, which is here. So for even to feel a, a shade of that, to feel a sliver of that, to, to see a glimpse of that again in any capacity ignites that fire in a fan base. And especially one that already has such a built-in brand and such a built-in level of quality and frankly, a very built-in high bar to have to clear to even be associated with where the franchise was at 20 to 25 years ago. That intensity is there. And I definitely felt it even in a season that ended in a five-game loss to Milwaukee. It man, like nostalgia is just such an incredibly potent drug when you can trace it back to something like that. Oh, yeah. It's it's so much damn fun, man. The, you're the, right. The genesis of that was on display. And again, you're gonna see it. I again, I don't think the Baltimore Ravens of two thousand one, as amazing as they are, are gonna hit the same cultural touchstones that the nineteen nineties Michael Jordan led Chicago Bulls will. It's going to be a great story, and I sure as hell want to hear some of those interviews. Yes. And I yes. really want to know about the background going back to the Miami days. Like, I want to hear all of that for sure. And I guarantee I'll be entertained by it. I'm sure it's going to be great. But it just doesn't t- – the way OJ – like, that 30 for 30, that 10-part, the OJ Made in America documentary, is one of the greatest pieces of art I've ever seen. Forget sports. It's That's just art. That is an incredible documentation of how this event touched dozens of different branches and how it went all the way back to the 1980s and the 70s and the 60s and how 1992 affected how we were feeling in 1994 and the day itself during the what else was going on in sports that day and how it could touch literally every part of pop culture and culture itself in America. It's wild to think that like I don't that'll never happen again. Like Avengers Endgame is the last time I felt like <laughs> There was something that really had to, I'm, and I'm serious. Yeah. Like, it's, again, oh, it's yeah. the highest grossing movie of all time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I guess it's just me, but like, you know, it's, it's it, that everybody was in on it in some way, either yep. you were in it or you hated the people that were in it, or you had kids that were excited about it. That touched so many different people. And just that, that maybe I shouldn't say it'll never happen anymore. It'll just be, th- those things are supernovas now right. and they separate themselves so clearly. Like, it, it, it's that, that that's hard to team. comprehend it's, oh, it's hard to find that for well, sure i mean it's it's like we said about you know the last episode of game of thrones where maybe that was the death of appointment television would we ever have anything where people had given i would avengers endgame is the perfect example because i said to my dad dad i have given a decade of my life yeah. to this franchise like it is it is quintessentially sports in that regard where it is this has been a steady stream a consistent marker of my life my growth where and when I was for the last decade and now it's going to be over and I don't know how to process that we cheered and screamed we we cheered and screamed at the theater like it was a sporting event yes (laughs) yes that's what uh, just a factoid about it Mike senior year was when Avengers first came out we were like packing up, getting ready to move on with our lives. And I'm dragging my girlfriend, now wife, to go to the theater to see Joss Whedon direct <laughs> Thor and, and Tony Stark. You know what I mean? Like, I'm with you. It was, it, 
<laughs> yeah, it's been a part of us. That was 2012. That's that's 10 yeah. years ago. Like, and and Iron Man came out when I was still in college. Like, that was a 13 year kind of journey, along with our 08 or 09, whatever year it was that yeah. it came out. Like, I was blown away by that movie, and I was like, oh, this is really cool. I should watch the next one. And then I watched the next one. I thought that was also cool. Oh, they're gonna have all of them together. I should watch that. And that you just got stuck in this cycle. And, and stuck is a bad way to say it. I'm sure that's how people in 1977 felt. When Star Wars came out, and then three years later, they're like, oh, they're doing another one of those. It's not like everybody saw it and was, this is going to be my life now. It's like, oh, no, that was something that I was entertained by and I enjoyed, and people seem to enjoy it as well. And then three years later, hey, we should go do that thing that made us feel good that time. And then it was beyond, you know, the Empire Strikes Back was amazing. And then you just, that's how cycles happen. And everything is on a 30 to 20 to 30 year cycle. Every 20 to 30 years You'll get something like that, but I wonder if it's going to be harder to decipher it or to identify it now because there's just so much that's thrown our way. Like, I haven't really been invested in Marvel the way I was after Endgame because it was just, I expelled all of it. That was my, I had the moments that I wanted. They did all the fan service stuff. I was good. Like, you sated me, and now I, it's harder for me to invest in something like that again for at least for a little while longer. It is really interesting to think about that and then put it back into the terms of what you were talking about with the 90s Bulls and to think about its modern cousin in the 2000s New England Patriots that had every bit of the longevity dynasty-wise, had a figure at the top of all that, but we started to get content about that while it was still going on. Like, even that, we didn't have the time to build up the nostalgia bomb and all of this. We just immediately turned around and started eating our own foot off of that thing and just saying, hey, we'll digest this while we're... That's a really bad analogy. I don't know why that was where I went. I think it was a great one, but I'm a little disturbed by it more than anything else. I I watched a lot. I was very frightened by that. I, I watched a lot of saw movies when we i thought i figured up. you were in a carrie elvis mood at that point like you're, <laughs> you're not you're not wrong though like brady's doing a documentary now and he's suiting up to play week one in a few months like like he's still playing draymond it's it's a is this business gonna cannibalize itself at any point i don't know I mean, maybe maybe it will I mean, Tom Brady is reportedly getting ready to be your coworker when he's done playing. <laughs> like it's all, I guess. It, it's it's all it's it's to quote Bo Burnham, it's a little bit of everything all yep. of the time. All the which time. has kind of been the the sentiment of this incredible conversation, Adam. This is everything <laughs> that I hoped it would be. I, I promise next time we won't be as heavy all the time. We'll let oh you God. talk shit and have we fun. Have, well, like, it's because it's because we like I don't think we've had. The, I haven't seen you in a while. I was at saw you yeah. last year. When you're in, in the city, and I think we our our boats passed each other. You know, our ships sailed past one another in the night a couple times in the last you know seven months or whatever it is. So until or no, you know, I saw you in September. That's what it was. I think yep. uh, when I had that when I had a Patriots game. Coincidentally enough, I think it was the last time I saw you. So since then, I don't think we've had like this type of format to be able to just bullshit for an hour, and it was great. It's, it is a format that I have like unapologetically stolen from Katie Nolan and the Sports with a Question Mark podcast where she would just say, hey, I'm going to talk to one of my friends for a while and we're going to see what happens. And, and it was so much fun. Did you also make potentially inappropriate but probably not inappropriate comments about her family members as well? No, I... Good follow-up. I am not... I'm I'm... 
clearly kidding. Are, I are, enjoyed are it you, thoroughly. Are, it was hilarious. Are you, you going to hit on my dad now? I've who says I haven't? <laughs> I've hit on you. I'm sure I've hit. You know what? That's the that's what I do basically. Is just I flirt with everybody. All right, <laughs> it, like I, I flirt with everyone, and I, that doesn't necessarily mean there's an end game to that. I'm just saying I just like flirting with people. Look at this handsome guy right here. Look at that. Look, look, look at the shoulders on Brandon. Like I, like shit like that. And you just you just say nice things about people. <laughs> Which apparently comes with the connotation of flirting. It doesn't have to, but like you just say nice things about people, and apparently that that counts as flirting now. So yes, I flirt it, with everybody. It, it's not empty either, because I, no. I felt you meant I felt you mean, mean it, you know. And, I, and I know you wanted to compliment my smile, but it was too far. But it's actually I got bright, you. I'm it's, it's, it's brightening every time you come up on my computer. My background changes because the light that comes from it affects I've my noticed, background. I was now. like. It kept going in and out. Like the iris of like the laptop is changing because your smile is very like, it's very effervescent, I think is a good word for it. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, Ad- Adam Amin, Fox NFL broadcaster, <laughs> Bulls NBA play-by-play announcer, and the oh, universal gosh. flirtatious solvent. Incredible. This man truly <laughs> contains multitudes. Adam, you're the best. I love you, buddy. This is a lot of fun. I'm sure we'll... Do it again soon, and we'll badger you with actual sports questions, maybe, or maybe we'll just do this again, and it'll be wonderful. It'll be, it'll be fun. Love you, brother. And uh, if you haven't tuned out now, yeah, how did you survive sixty-four <laughs> minutes of this bullshit? Let's talk. Let's talk after. You need our help. Awesome stuff. Love Adam. Truly one of the most thoughtful people that I know in general, let alone in this industry. Super fortunate to get to spend so much time with him. Um, but Brandon, it's time for us to finish this off. Let's get to this, that, and the third. Yes. And this is maybe the biggest thing overall affecting the landscape of sports that we'll talk about. Uh, yesterday in the early hours in the morning, a massive step towards gender equality in the United States and in U.S. sports in really labor happened in the U.S. Soccer Federation. So um, we saw the announcement came from unions, players for the U.S. men's national team and women's national team, ratified a new CBA with the U.S. Soccer Federation, and in doing so, achieved equality in terms of economics, World Cup bonuses, which had been a long-time sticking point, so much so that the U.S. women's national team and their players' association had been suing the U.S. Soccer Federation, and still are, technically. But now, World Cup bonuses will be split equally between the two teams, um, they'll also have men and women receiving identical payment uh, for per game bonuses for matches that are under the U.S. Soccer Federation's control. There'll even be an even revenue split for commercial revenue as well, which is kind of where the U.S. Soccer Federation and this group went above and beyond what some other countries that had been closer to gender equality in this way had been doing. But Brandon, all credit goes to the women's national team, their PA because they had to push the U.S. Soccer Federation for this. Like, they can certainly pat themselves on the back now, but it was because this group of women pointed and said, hey, look at all we've done for the sport. There's no way that this can continue. And they went out there and they got a massive leg up in all this in a way that we should all stand and applaud because they believed in something enough to go out there and, you know, potentially put their careers at risk to go and obtain and manage to do it. Yeah, and it was the right the right group to do it. I mean, it was just champions, and and you're right. They are right in their argument. Look at what they've done for the sport. Like 
this has to stop and it has to stop now. So I'm I'm proud, happy, still feels a little weird that, you know, we're in our thirties and this is happening, but now it changes forever. Yeah, I mean, just to give people an idea of what this looks like for U.S. Soccer Federation matches, including friendlies, the women's team can now receive as much as eighteen grand for a win. That's more than double the eighty-five hundred they could have earned under the previous deals. And according to the U.S. Women's National Team Players Association, a player who makes all the rosters for the women's national team in a non-World Cup year including the ticket and revenue sharing portions, could make up to $450,000 in this new deal. And in a World Cup year, that number could potentially double. So this becomes life-altering sums of money. And as the National Women's Soccer League, their professional league, starts to grow and grow and they think you know is on a trajectory that's going to keep increasing salaries there, they felt like this was the right time to make a change from what had been guaranteed six-figure, you know, $100,000 salaries for select members of that group that were a little more stable. It was a little safer, but all of this is indicative of the growth that we have seen there and the opportunity that was presented here for everyone involved. And all of it happened because... Certainly the women's national team pushed everyone to this point. The men's national team saw this as an opportunity to be on the right side of history with this. They understood their role in this, how important the women's national team has been to the you know international success of the you know U.S. soccer program. The men had often been bystanders watching the success of the women's national team going on. But yeah. it's going to be amazing knowing that everyone involved saw and found ways to make this possible and will be able to execute on that going forward. And there will still likely be people that show up and try and claim that, oh, well, you know, look at what the men's World Cup makes versus the women's World Cup. Like, dog, the people in the middle of this found a way to make this work. If you're going to sit here and watch how other people handle their money to that extent and hate to that extent, I just have to conclude it's because you hate women. Like if, if you're really going to claim to be some champion of economics so much so that you have to strive to find ways to continue to make that point, it to me is, and you brought this up earlier, very akin to what we've seen in college sports where for so long people said, well, the scholarship should be enough and you should be grateful for that. Most players wouldn't make any more. And now we got this whole NIL marketplace that's clearly proven there's an appetite for paying these dudes. So you can't just go back and try and claim retroactively that that's not true, that that hasn't probably been true for longer than everyone cares to admit. And the people that are still going to choose to hate in those old ways, as these groups of people have gone out and found more for themselves, are just that. They're haters, pure and simple. There's going to be very little other leg for them to stand on. Yeah, I mean, it, it really does boil down to doing the right thing. In America, in the society, we pay our our entertainers top, top dollar to do exactly that. Our athletes are premier entertainers in America. And the World Cup, the Women's World Cup, that shit is electric. I remember I was walking around in New York City and an Applebee's was just going wild. And we were just, and I just, I popped in. It, it's, it's, it, it brings us all together. We're all so proud. The, the very least that we can do is pay them handsomely yeah and the, and the, there's a lot of great stuff about this deal uh the men and women also getting child care support during this as well so Ooh, there's a, a lot of ground made up on this so a big congrats to the women's national team uh for going out there and getting what was rightfully theirs in this 
Um, Brandon, let's look at that because we have made so much in the world of sports in 2022 of watching players' social media accounts and monitoring what they do. Kyler Murray famously scrubbing his social media of all the Cardinals posts really piqued everyone off. When players unfollow teammates, everyone puts their ears up. This courtesy of Rap TV, Offset has unfollowed Quavo and Takeoff on Instagram, seemingly putting the Migos in jeopardy. Apparently, Quavo and Takeoff are also dropping a new single Friday under the name Unk and Nephew without Offset. So, Brandon, are you worried here? Are you worried? They cut out the cousin. Listen, if y'all don't know what the Migos are, it's obviously Offset, Quavo, Takeoff. Uh, you probably know Quavo uh, as the the front runner. If you're not paying attention to real rap, if you are, you, you know the real takeoffs. The the lyricist uh, offsets the flair. Um, but anyways, they're all related, right? From Atlanta, uh, all from the same area. <laughs> Quavo is the uncle. Takeoff is the nephew to Quavo. Quavo and Offset are cousins. And Takeoff is obviously cousins with him as well. So this is a family affair, right? I don't like where it's going. Hopefully, these guys are smart and just playing with the beef uh, and just trying to, like, sell tickets a little bit. And uh, everything's all copacetic behind closed doors. But also, when it comes to the music, they've been falling off for the last two albums. So maybe they do need a break. So, you know, I, I thought this was like, oh, no, I don't want to see family do this. Da, 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 so petty. But you know what? For, for, the, for the music... For the art, break it up. Wow, calling stir the fry, breakup. stir fry. I, I switched it. I switched it while I was giving the take. Stir fry, baby. Switch it up. I will In say, we're switching. I don't hold. I don't. Um, I don't go away from the idea that this could all be a work. In 2022, I basically assume everyone is trying to play me on social media at all times, especially celebrities. But damn it, man! If Cardi B and Offset can survive as much as they have, I feel like these guys can survive this. Man, right? At some- I, I just hope I just hope Cardi's not at the at the heart of it, because you know Quavo's now with um, Chris Brown's Acruci, uh, Chris Brown's ex-wife. It's just uh, it's all it's all messy, but that 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 that's it. That's the culture report. Yeah, there, we go. there we go. Shout out to fans of the Maybe I'm Crazy podcast here. The Culture Report still <laughs> very much alive and well through Brandon Newman. Brandon the third is my never-ending vendetta against robot culture seeping its way into our our lives. Uh, Chris Long of the Greenlight Podcast and NFL fame has been leading this charge for a while. But I saw this headline last night. The Apple car, which basically looks like a computer mouse... Could feature VR technology and no windows. Like, who? Go ahead, go ahead, cook. I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you take this. Listen, it's just plain and simple for me. No, no. Whatever you're thinking about doing, no. Give me my windows back, even visually. In the artist rendering that they have here, it looks like either an Apple mouse or a raised up curved iPhone. There is no way for me to see out here. This is just a fancy coffin. That's just a super (laughs) coffin that they've built here. So you're telling me as much much faith as you put into uh, Tim Cook's and, and Steve Jobs' product, you wouldn't, you wouldn't blindly go in that car and just, you know, take a nap and wake up Wake up in New York 
three hours later. The self-driving car is already a concept that makes me wholly uncomfortable because surrendering that kind of power on the road. And I understand. Technically, I surrender power to someone else every time I step on a plane or a bus or any other modes of public transportation. But those are people. And this is a computer that could eventually be hacked in the way that we see everyone else get hacked. Who says that some crypto gang can't come in and hack these Apple car computers and now all of a sudden I am a like piece of Dogecoin or now all of a sudden no, I am stop, a bored stop, ape? Please. I need you to stop because you're sounding your age right now. I am. I'm feeling my age. I am feeling my age. I'm just shouting modern com, uh, modern e-commerce things at people. I don't like this thing. I want to be able to see where I'm going, and I want to know that somebody's behind the wheel. Maybe eventually I will get on board with people, you know, uh, automated cars and stuff like that. I got to be able to see the outside world. I'm claustrophobic. I'm already yes. kind of uncomfortable with the idea of those sensory deprivation tanks for that reason. Mm. I can't do that while I'm driving. It is too unnerving. And again, I'm a hypocrite because I do it in the airplane all the time. The road's just different. I'm sorry. Well, I'll say this. Apple is usually known for like not giving us what we want, but giving us what we need. When they when they linked and synced everything up with that group chat and all the other shit they do, mm, chef's kiss. Unbelievable. Right? Ratatouille. Ratatouille in the kitchen. I didn't even know I needed the little button gone, but thank God it's gone. Right? On the iPhone. So... Who are they talking to that made them think the customer doesn't need to see why they're driving anymore? Like, that's old news, seeing why you're driving. Like, who whose idea was it to take the windows out and then that person got a raise? Like, in trying to make cars better, where is the concept what where the idea come from that we don't need that we need less windows i mean i understand everyone wants to be entertained all the time because a lot of this is about the entertainment in here and the technology to reduce motion oh, you think it's about to be a little movie theater well they want to have like the vr headsets pulled up to an entertainment system in there that utilizes the motion of the vehicle to further immerse passengers in their headset vr experience y'all you could just drive like you, Why could are you get going that to work? you could get that experience just driving there. I understand we got to be listen, we grew up in the era where I remember every music video for a while when the Escalade came out showed rappers watching porn on the back headrests in those cars. Like I remember when that was the thing happening. We've had that. People love being entertained while they're driving, but at some point, like at some point science is going to go too far. <laughs> I mean, they already went too far. Mike, one of my favorite things to do is go through fast food restaurants. or Like, go through the drive-thru. What am I going to do with that? Y'all going to make a cubby? Y'all going to make a dumbwaiter? Uh, Y'all better put a file cabinet in there so I can get my fast food. It's gonna like, be how like, am I going to order? It's going to be like the little doors in jail. They'll just slide it in there <laughs> because that's essentially what you are. You're in a mobile jail coffin now. That I will Oh, my never gosh. I'm so glad you said it does look like a mouse. Yeah. It looks like a mouse. Looks like a computer. Not even not even it doesn't look like an Apple mouse. It looks like one of them like uh was it like Logitech? Like just one of them just like <laughs> You know what it looks like? Normal I bought it at the airport mouses. It it looks like something that is never going to be anywhere near my driveway as long as I can hold out on this, which is <laughs> probably not going to be very long. I'm a lot of talk on all these subjects, but uh Brandon, in the meantime, I'm probably going to go and get in a car with windows and drive far, far away 
from this entire situation. Anyone who's made it this far, God love you. God bless you. We thought we never would have made it to this point. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a five-star review. Drop a question into the review part here. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. See you then. Until next time. <laughs> Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.